to the Ladies of the Chains Disc Golf Podcast. I am Becca Kephart, and I am absolutely thrilled to have back in the studio with me Nova Polite and Kim Janola. Before we jump in here, I want to announce our Disc Golf Pro Tour Fantasy winner, another Disc Golf Pro Tour stop, another me not doing so hot with the picks, but that's okay because someone still gets stuff. So the winner of a $20 gift certificate to the Disc Golf Pro Tour courtesy of the Disc Golf Pro Tour, is KH Miller 18 So be looking for your prize in the mail. We're going to get things started here with our first segment, like we always do, What You Been Discing, where each one of us shares something that we are excited about that is disc golf related. Nova, what you got? Oh, hey, how's it going? Uh, just one thing or all the things? Uh, <laughs> okay, Becca, both uh, you and Kim live right nearby, so I'm not telling you anything you don't already know when I say that this winter has been long and wet and i mean as of uh today right now in the in the studio here the winter is only starting to let go yep. um, which is like weeks later than the norm for this part of the country um like the course across the street from uh, me and kim has only been dry enough to play without like completely thrashing the turf into mud soup and you know blasting my leg joints into hamburger helper since like friday afternoon <laughs> and barely at that so not a whole lot of throwing truth be told yeah um over the winter i spent a lot of time looking at broadcast graphics for ideas yeah. on how to do my own logos and lower third or chirons for post-produced video coverage and i made some test footage to look at i showed that to you and i aim to get out and shoot some cards and make some videos uh this year full round like c tiers uh, maybe a b tier i don't know places where i can sneak in and the tournament director is just gonna be like yeah go crazy yeah. <laughs> and not places that have like a media policy sure because that's hard. Uh, I've been making for this show, Coach Nova's Red Hot Tip Top Tips. I'm having a blast doing that. Going to keep doing that all year. Yeah. And uh, there's actually going to be video versions of those later. Yes. Uh, once the earth isn't trying to kill me when I go outdoors. <laughs> and that's important. Got a couple of those. Oh, yeah. Another video series coming up. Uh, Coach Nova's program for demolishing FA2. Or... That's a tentative title. Cool. I'm looking for something better. But I'm looking uh, to make a series of six or eight, five to ten minute instructional videos, which are basically how to get out of FA2. Uh, the essential skills you need, one per video, to get out of FA2, kill everything you see, and move up to advanced. And then, you know, start, you'll start losing in advanced, but you'll be in advanced. Yesterday, uh, Saturday the 16th of March, I helped Rob Martin, a Maverick disc golfer on a C-tier in McLouth, Kansas. Carolyn's Dirty Water Open five and uh this morning at waterworks park in kc i faced off against uh kim here at launchpad disc golf's battle of waterworks it's a one rounder uh played on 18 uh dynamic discs marksman's uh baskets uh the last time kim played on that course it was her final nine to win her master's world title so it was time for me to try and take her down a peg uh spoiler i did not (laughs) Uh, just like Worlds, uh, where she won in a playoff today, she beat me in a playoff. That's what I've been disking. Two for two. I like it. All right, Kim, what do you have? Oh, my goodness. So the long winter. Yes. Uh, for those of you who don't live on the West Coast or in more warm climate, you know what I'm talking about. For But for everyone on those coasts or warm climates, it was brutal. Um I think since late December, I have thrown discs a grand total of like two or three times. And that's because it's been sub 20 degrees outside or snowing or both. And 
There was a point in time in my life when I was a little bit more fierce about getting out and doing stuff. But as I'm getting older, there are times I'm out there and I'm slipping and the ground is either icy or muddy and my footing is not safe. And I'm like, I'm not gaining any real practice here except for playing in ice and snow, which I'm not going to do. Right. So with Monkey Island Open coming up, I think, next week, yep. I have needed to get out and throw some discs. And so that meant once on Monday, once on Friday, here and there, because we got a lot of rain last week. So it was still muddy. And because it's never really dried up from winter, still unsafe. I made the decision to play two unsanctioned events this weekend just to try to get into some semblance of competition form, get something loosened up, try to break free of some of the rust. One of them was the waterworks battle, which Nova has just described. The other one was the lift coefficient open, which was at Prairie Center. And that was a lot of fun. Although in both days, I have come to realize it doesn't matter how much you warm up. <laughs> two or three months of not throwing discs yeah. is two to three months of not throwing discs. And my best form has not been there. So I'm going to be scrambling for the next couple of weeks to get into true shape for things like the glass blown open or uh, U.S. Masters or Ledgestone or whatever I end up playing for the rest of the tour. The only other thing I can say about what I've been disking aside from this stuff is... Sean Ramsey, I'm trying. Um, I have been talking to an artist back and forth. We've exchanged some ideas. Hopefully, I will have a tour series disc Woo-hoo! this year. Um, nothing's finalized yet, but there are talks. I am trying. Awesome. If you lend me 20 bucks, I'll buy one. <laughs> <laughs> That's great to hear. So for me, last weekend was actually my second tournament of the year. And to both y'all's point, I was just kind of reflecting yesterday on how thankful I am that I got through those two tournaments uh, without injury, because it was definitely on my mind. And and I'm thankful that I was able to play and and be okay. Um, But this last tournament was really cool. Uh, We still had tons and tons of mud on the course, rain in the first round, really, really, really bad wind at times in the second round. But I hit this putting streak in the first round that was super cool. Um, Wasn't hitting maybe all of the putts, but I was hitting most of them and I was hitting some from distance. And I'm just really excited heading into this season because it's the most confident I've ever been about my putting. I know what putters I'm using. I know how I'm putting. And I'm just really, really excited about that. And uh, yeah, now that the weather's getting a little nicer here, hopefully uh, Lupe and I can get back out and shoot our next episode of Lupe and Becca Throw Discs because the plan has been for quite some time that that's going to be our putter edition. So I will get to share my love of the NV and proxy combination. I'm really excited for that. We'll take a break. And when we come back, what would you throw in our topic of the week? Ladies First Disc Golf is the most comprehensive retailer for women's disc golf needs. With over 50 five-star reviews on Google and Facebook, listen to what their customers have to say. Veronica B says, I love the selection they have. Discs popular with women can be hard to find, but not here. I love the t-shirts and hoodies. I live in them. Nikki N says, I love every product I've gotten from LFDG. Customer service is fantastic and fast shipping. If you are looking for stylish and comfortable disc golf apparel and discs for women disc golfers of all skill levels, Ladies First Disc Golf has your needs covered. 
For Ladies of the Chains listeners, we're offering an exclusive 20% off discount on your next order of $19 or more. Visit ladiesfirstdiscgolf.com and use code LOTC20 at checkout. And we're back. So for this week's What Would You Throw? Uh, This last week I had spring break and I watched a ridiculous, like just crazy amount of live disc golf. I didn't catch the last round of FPO because I was at a meeting uh, for our upcoming all-women's disc golf tournament, the Diva Spring Fever. But outside of that, I think I watched every single round. So I just, anyway, watched a ton of Waco. And my favorite hole on that course is hole seven. So we're going to talk through what we would each throw at hole seven at the Beast there in Waco. So Kim, why don't you get us going? Okay. This is something I've been reflecting on quite a bit since you... um sent me the message that this is the hole you're going to be talking about. And I just wanted to say this up front as a disqualifier. Um, <laughs> if you've never played these courses before, it is a much different experience mm-hmm. to actually be staring down certain aspects of them because the way they are presented on TV, the right. lenses don't necessarily capture the distances oh, yeah. correctly or the angles correctly or show you all of the lines you might end up wanting to take. I'm going to give you my answer with a qualifier that once I'm on the tee pad at that particular course, I might be like, oh my goodness, oh, I yeah. completely chose the wrong disc. Of course. I reserve the right to change my mind. Always. That's right. Always. So saying that, assuming the I got the distances right on the initial gap, I'm probably going to be throwing a matrix. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to throw a matrix to get out of the gap. And hopefully from there, I'm going to have enough of a approach that I can... Uh, hit the tunnel Mm -hmm. um, where the pin is. And depending on where the matrix comes to rest, how much distance I'm going to have to cover, I'm either going to throw an anode or a theory. Mm -hmm. Cool. And what do you putt with, Kim? What do I putt with? Mm -hmm. Uh, Proton Atom. Which, yes, I putt with premium plastic. I know that makes me really weird. You weirdo. I know. I putt with premium plastic. I know. and (laughs) That's that's something you and I have in common. (laughs) Different premium plastic, but that's okay. Which I will say, if it's raining, if it's wet, if the course is covered in dew and it's just not going to be worth my while to consistently have to wipe off everything so thoroughly, yes, I'm I'm putting with Electron. But... Everything being equal, grip not being too much of a concern, I am putting with proton atoms. Right on. All right, Nova, what would you throw? Oh, well, I am motivated uh, by the fear of failure. So, (laughs) I mean, I'm watching the video coverage, and everybody's using fairway driver or something to get out and get to the right spot uh, for the landing zone to get the next shot. I'm not going to lie. I... um, Again, huge caveat, I reserve the right to change my mind because I've only seen this on video where a telephoto lens compresses the distance from 4 to F and make it look different than the way it actually is. <laughs> right. hmm. For me, goal one, hit the gap and not suffer a horrible humiliation right there on the tee. <laughs> so I'm going to go with a shallow uh, rimmed uh, mid, actually. Uh, probably something Didi puts out. Um, evidence, uh, truth, uh, not the Emac truth. Oh, not a fan. Sorry, Emac. And uh, <laughs> just try and shoot the gap and get out of there. And uh, they've, the evidence and truth have got some glide to them. So hopefully mm. they'll just get out there uh, as well as a fairway driver would have. Honestly, for me, fairway driver and uh, like a five speed mid is only like 30, 40 feet different at mm. max. So that's all good. Um, and also, if I hit a tree with a driver, God only knows where that thing's going to mm. end up. Whereas a mid is just going to die. And 
I mean, I'm dying too. So you know, you bury us <laughs> together. But um, and then uh, honestly, um, again, I've not walked this. I haven't seen it in person. So uh, the upshot uh, at that point. Uh, to the basket, I figure it's probably about two bucks, and you know, depending on whether I'm left centered or right of the gap, is basically just going to be one putter, the other putter, or some other putter, depending on whether I want to hyzer it, want it to go straight, want it to have a little bit of turn on me, and if I screw up the um, the drive so bad that I don't have a look straight at the basket somehow, um, then yeah, I'll just grab a trident and throw it over the top. Right on. Uh, what putters do you throw? A lot of them. Uh, <laughs> Uh, for uh, really overstable, I go harp. For mm-hmm. uh, not quite a harp, I go uh, particle. Um, uh, for really, really straight stuff, uh, proxy. Mm-hmm. And when I want to get fancy and do some flexi lines or do an ante or something, I go with a Nova. Cool. And mm-hmm. uh, putt with anodes. Uh, that's new this year. I'm really, really digging them. Awesome. Yeah, you know, I should clarify. There are times I will putt with an electron spin. Sure. Right. Um, right. Particularly if I need to put Anheuser on something, um, mm-hmm. or I'm I'm putting around a tree or something where I really can't get the the force on the disc mm-hmm. that I would with a proton atom, I'm going to switch to an electron spin. So, so to both your points, obviously, without standing on the actual tee pad, you can only garner so much from uh, course maps and from the video coverage that we had. But I just love daydreaming about some of these holes and what I would do if I was there. And for me lately, I don't know that it's exactly the same, but this hole does kind of remind me of hole three at Shawnee Mission, just because you have like this initial gap that you have to hit and then you have a wide open space and then a bit of a guarded green this is i think a more extreme version of that and to y'all's point i'd love to know how long the tunnel is because it was kind of hard to really grasp that but my favorite disc right now for kind of getting through tunnels and things like that is my crave um i i like it especially for kind of what i gathered from watching the coverage of this hole because it it will fly straight for me and then maybe have just a tiny bit of a fade, but not a ton because it seemed like um, watching like Paul and Ricky actually yesterday, they uh, they ended up pretty far to the left and they both had to do a flick shot from the knee to on their approach, which was kind of gnarly. So it seemed like you kind of wanted to be a little bit more on the right side. Um, and then depending on how far I get, uh, probably the matrix or the particle would be how I would try to approach to the green, but I'm probably also playing this for par. So <laughs> depending on how, how good I throw those, um, then I'm going to use some kind of proxy, uh, to get through that last grab to the green. I really considered throwing the cray from the T mm-hmm. um, when, when I was considering Well, and I this. consider throwing a matrix too. I mean, absolutely standing on that T, I would, it would be one of those. I just yeah, don't know I, which, I would, depending on how confident I am, what the wind's doing, what it actually right, looks like, all of that. Now we move into our discussion topic. And this is one I'm really, really excited to talk to y'all about. Um, we're going to talk about the future of tournaments. You know, as, as disc golf continues to grow and evolve, uh, at some point, we're going to need to address how tournaments work, the PGGA rules about tournaments and the standards for sanctioned. There's lots of unsanctioned stuff going on too. There's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of possibility. But if disc golf continues to grow at the rate that it does, at some point we're going to kind of run into this problem that we're going to have more people that want to play than we can necessarily support with the existing uh 
tournament structure that we have. Now, granted, I hate when people say this in disc golf, but they are correct. We're not there yet, <laughs> but we're going to do a little bit of forward thinking and also just a little bit of analysis about our tournament, uh, tournament structures, especially when it comes to sanctioned stuff. So here's our first big question. Is the current tournament format helping or hindering growth when it comes to sanctioned tournaments? What do you think, Nova? I, I think it's not hurting. Sure. Um, I also think it's not helping. I think it's agnostic. Mm -hmm. There are places where every single week of the year there is a tournament, and if a new tournament director comes along and they want to join the calendar, they're frozen out. Sure. And I think the way around that is to relax uh, the restrictions in the touring standards to allow smaller events uh, to share the same weekend yeah. within a smaller uh, distance. Mm -hmm. um, but the trick to that is you have to have enough potential players right. in both of the places that one is not cannibalizing the other. Right. And uh, the current standards are very conservative. Mm -hmm. um, I ran uh, a CX tier. It was like a, it was a birdie bash back when those were still a thing. And um, there was a, a tournament that was 180, 200 miles away uh, as the crow flies. But because of the way the roads are configured in this part of the state, it's like a five-hour drive over <laughs> two-lane twisty turning mining roads. I mean, it was – and but due to the distance, uh, the state coordinator was obligated to send me an email saying, mm. hey, um, I need you to pinky swear that you're not going to cannibalize from this – tournament in this town far away and i'm yeah. like nobody in this town far away is gonna go through all of that sure. to come to mind so pinky swear not a problem hmm. and I, I think that's a little bit you know and i think that's a little bit symptomatic um of just how conservative the standards are sure so i think one way to open up the calendar is just to allow more tournaments at a closer range to coexist provided they can. And that's something that has to be done thoughtfully. This isn't yeah. this isn't something we can just shotgun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kim? I'm gonna agree with Nova that I don't think the format yeah. of tournaments is necessarily hindering or helping growth of the sport overall. Um especially for the majority of players, unfortunately, I'm going to say this is men at this mm -hmm. point in time. I don't know of too many men who are complaining that they don't have events to play sure. or, or something like that. Mo I will have opinions on how do we increase women's participation sure. in certain things like that. But that's a separate issue from mm -hmm. how whether or not tournaments themselves in the format that they are are hurting the sport in its growth as opposed to women's participation in it. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I guess for, that's a long way of saying, I don't really have much of an opinion sure. on this part. But. Sure. <laughs> no, I think that's totally fair too. And I, it's kind of interesting what we are seeing happen just based on some anecdotal observations of my own on spending way too much on, pdga.com but we do have wait lists for tournaments and when tournaments when people think they're going to get filled right so something like gbo there is just a mad dash race because there's fear of missing out be 
because there's limited space. But for certain divisions, there's going to be wait lists and there's going to be ultimately people who want to play that aren't going to get to play. Now, I will say GPO is amazing because there are wait lists. There's a lot of other ways to participate. There's a lot of other ways to kind of be a part of things. So, you know, it's it's certainly no knock on them. They, I think, are a good thing to look to in terms of growing an event obviously, because I mean, it's just insane, the growth that that event has had. And what we're seeing, you know, with with Diva Fever this year, like last year, we filled up in three days because we had a max of 90 players. And then ultimately, they got opened up to 144. And then that filled up. And this year, it's it's trickling in a lot slower. Um, I think at least in part, because there's less of that kind of pressure, like, oh, you have to sign up right now or else. But on the flip side, then it's also really hard if, hey, this tournament that I maybe want to play in August, let's say, is filling up, but I don't know exactly what my life is going to be like in August, and can I really commit to this thing? So I think it's it's a little bit tricky. Well, um, for the Diva Fiva, last year it was a WGE. Right. This year it's not. And mm-hmm. WGE events typically have a little bit more participation mm-hmm. in sure. them than they do than the event does outside oh, sure. of that, which is not to say the Diva Fever isn't, isn't a big event, but right. when it is a WGE year, yeah. it's a different monster than yeah. when it's a non-WGE of year. Of course. The other thing, um, let's talk about wait lists. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about the open divisions and what's going to happen when we get there, right. we're not there yet, but what happens when we get there? We are probably going to see something to the effect of the way tennis runs things where depending on where you are currently ranked, you're going to be guaranteed entry into this event. Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be some spots reserved for qualifiers. Once again, we're talking about getting there, not where we currently are, in which case maybe there'll be many events that'll allow you to qualify for the glass bone open, just like there are U S open qualifiers, there are Australian open qualifiers, things like that. Once again, that's for the professional divisions. Amateur divisions, that's a bit of a, a different story. We're kind of a, a unique sport in the sense that when something like Ledgestone or the Glassblown Open or Waco or the Memorial happens, there is usually an amateur counterpart right. to that. And a lot of other sports don't have that. That right. makes us very unique. Right. How do you manage the demand to make your professional tournament the upper tier premier event that it wants to be mm-hmm. while at the same time satisfying the amateur base, which is its biggest audience. Yeah. This is a unique challenge, and I don't know necessarily that yeah. we have a good answer on how to fit the amateur realm into what we see as a top tier professional event like we'd like to see on Sports Center or any number of other things like that. Because people want to play as well as watch. It's not necessarily the same thing if you're talking about professional basketball, professional Mm -hmm. soccer, professional hockey, anything like that. Yep. The uh, Glassblown Open, first off, they've done an absolutely incredible job of putting courses in the ground and bringing existing courses up to spec. Uh, so that they can uh, participate to expand capacity. And that's terrific. But the weekend of the Glassblown Open, um, I feel like when 
once the carrying capacity of the number of disc golfers is there, mm -hmm. I wonder if we might reach a point where you have dueling A tiers or dueling NTs on opposite coasts or right. one north and one south right. on the same weekend. Um, uh, this is very US-centric, excuse me, yeah. uh, to, to split it up that way. So let me reframe kind of the question I asked about the current tournament format. And let's talk about tournament fees and player packs and payouts. So you're both professional and I am amateur, but you both used to be amateur. So That's we can true. kind of come at this from well, a few I'm, different I'm kind ways. Of bad. I can still play advanced when I want to. <laughs> One of my goals for this year is to get kicked out. Nice, nice. So tournament fees, are those potentially a hindrance? I think they're important. I think they obviously vary quite a bit. Kim, what do you think about tournament fees and and payouts in terms of tournaments? Well, my first question, I guess, in, in response to what you said is, when you say, do I think of them as a hindrance? Mm -hmm. what, what do you mean? So is it too costly to play tournaments? Is that getting in the way, potentially, of, of some people playing? Sure, but the cost is always going to be a, right. a concern for a player. I mean, there's going especially when you're getting into the amateur levels mm -hmm. where are you a casual player that right. you might play a $25 entry because mm -hmm. you only play casually and it's not something you're taking seriously? Or are you someone who is preparing themselves to make the jump to open, right. in which case you're playing advanced at some of the mm -hmm. bigger events and you're willing to put forward this money because we are talking about your eventual career or right. potentially something where you're hoping you can go on tour and this is something you're building up to. Is it a hindrance? Yes and no. Right. Um, the unfortunate truth about where we are as a sport now is until we have major sponsors that are not disc mm -hmm. golf companies that are other entities like other sports have, recognizing that we have the audience, recognizing that their advertising is going to pay off and are funding us, the players have to, fu unfortunately, fund the burden of some of the tournament right. running. And right. so it's it may be a hindrance, but it's also necessary. Right. Now, the distribution of where that money goes, that's an entirely other, right. other issue. And I'm going to let Nova speak first before I <laughs> tackle that. What? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh <laughs> I don't think the uh, the cost of entering tournaments is a deterrent because just a few minutes ago we were talking about what do we do with all these people who are coming sure. to play tournaments? Right. You know, um, tournament directors can't take their money fast enough. Their hand, they're getting into waiting lists to give them their money. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put strong disagree on that one. Um, as far as uh, the distribution, um, honestly, I'm prepared to make some enemies here because. <laughs> I think uh, I think the AM payouts are are too darn high. I agree, as an AM. So there you go. We can okay, I take mean, it on together. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been there. It's fun. Uh, yeah. The the goodie bags are incredible, but they are out of line with every other sport that yes. I have ever played in. Mm -hmm. um, I when I was running five k races, I was stoked to get a really good clicky ballpoint pen. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh man, this cup of yogurt's got the fruit on the bottom. <laughs> it's not the plain yogurt. 
I'm in. <laughs> this plain white T-shirt is best. <laughs> but uh, as best as I can tell, we are working our tournament directors to the bone mm-hmm. for nothing. Yep. They're not getting anything out of this. Um, I mean, I mean, they're the people who help other people to have a good time are the best people in the world. Right. But I don't think we should be forcing our tournament directors to cosplay like they're in house abnegation and divergent um, and take it to that crazy extreme to where they're just bleeding themselves to help, to help all of us have a good time. Um, Because just running one C tier is a a colossal amount of effort. And if somebody is running, I don't know, Eight C tiers and one B tier in a calendar year, that's their second job. Yeah. That is that is what they do. And you know, they're they're still working forty hours a week doing the thing they do to to make money, to actually live their life. But everything else they're doing is disc golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tournament directors I know, and I know a couple, don't appear to have lives outside of that. And I know it's very fulfilling. Right. You know, I mean, what's better than every couple of weeks having 90 or 72 or 144 people tell you how neat you are? Well, actually, it's more like 70 people, <laughs> 88 people, and 142 people. Because do jerks show up to every tournament? It's just a thing. I don't know them, and I'm not naming names. But they're not getting anything back out of right. it aside from the knowledge of a job well done yeah. and the chance to go to the Director's Cup every November. Mm-hmm. I think tournament directors should be getting paid. I totally agree. I think it should be a flat percentage out of the entry fee Mm -hmm. for every player in every division. A couple things. First off, abnegation is a faction, not a house. (laughs) Do I look? I don't... Okay, but okay, uh, they, no true, uh, <laughs> true talk. I didn't actually read the novels. I just yeah. watched the movies over your shoulder. Yep. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> Secondly, um, oh wow, this is a tricky issue. Um, Make some enemies. <laughs> when we were playing competitive tennis, um, we would be lucky as amateur players to get a wristband. Right. And you know, she's talking about a clicky pen as a, an incentive. We'd be lucky to get a wristband. We. On really nice tournaments, we might get a plastic water bottle. Somewhere in between there would be a white t-shirt that we would wear as like a PJ top and never again. But as a new player introduced to the sport, and I saw what Ams got simply for coming to play, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie in terms of if you want a gateway drug, (laughs) that's huge. That is pure great heroin. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) You're telling me? I'm getting three discs for showing up. I'm getting a backpack for showing up. It works. I mean, there's going to come a point in time, if you stick with the sport long enough, that you are rich in disc golf merchandise. You're going to have too many discs. You may have too many backpacks. You're going to have too many t-shirts. And... The various other things that you sometimes get, like keychains or bottle openers or personalized uh, bag tags and, and mm-hmm. things like that, you're going to have a lot of them. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, there was a point in time when I considered playing more professional events 
when I was still putting my feet into the professional pool simply because I knew I wouldn't be bringing home right. more merch. Right. Saying that, question for you as an am, mm-hmm. would you rather have a guaranteed players pack for going to an event or a better payout mm-hmm. if you placed highly enough? Right. Which means you may get nothing if you don't. So let me let me kind of come at this from a few different angles. So let me start with, Kim, your question there. And generally speaking, I would much rather get a payout than a player pack. I, I think it's cool to get tournament stamped discs, but they are in a pile in my garage. I have been playing tournaments. I just played my 14th event, which isn't a lot, and I'm already pretty much over player packs. Like, I don't really need more stuff. And I happen to be a person who throws only one brand. Um, so for me, most of the time, I'm not going to get a disc from that brand for my player's pack anyway, so it's not gonna be something I could throw. It's nice to have discs that I can give away. Um, Early on in the beginning, I would sell them online, you know, to kind of get my money back from my entry fees and things like that, but that was a lot of work and I just kind of stopped doing that. So if- Which is where the, you know, the term eBay pro comes from, you know, it's, you've got the, you got the pro pros earning money and then you got the am pros earning plastic and selling it on eBay for money. Right. So if, your preferred manufacturer Mm -hmm. was included in the players packs more often, would your stance on that change? So let me kind of answer both of your kind of points and questions Mm -hmm. all at once. Now I wanna make a disclaimer that I am a very, very, very biased human being. And especially when it comes to this topic because I'm a musician. So I am very, very passionate about people being compensated for work because Mm -hmm. as a musician, you get asked all the time to just play for exposure or you love music. So you obviously don't care about getting paid. And I don't think that's right because that's how I live my life and make my living, et cetera, et cetera. So, I want tournament directors to get paid. I want them to be compensated for their work. I understand kind of why things have been the way they are for this long in in terms of of player packs and tournament directors, because it's very focused on attracting people to the sport in a certain way and, and growing the sport. But my perfect situation solution let's say, and I'll, I'll just, there's fees and all that stuff. So we're just going to ignore those for a second. So let's say I do $30, right, towards a tournament for my entry fee. I would actually like to see, let's say, $10 go to the tournament director, $10 go to the payout pot, and then $10 go to the pros. Because personally, I'm very passionate about growing the sport through the professional side. I think that's really important. I think it's a big way to attract more people. And just like I want to see our tournament directors get paid, I want to see our professionals get paid better. I want to see more people able to be out there on tour doing their thing. Now, as far as it goes in terms of how I want to see that payout, Oh, was I a happy girl when I found out at the Rosedale Cup this last week that not only was my player pack uh, 
voucher for the Dynamic Discs KC store, my payout is there as well. I can get whatever the heck I want. That That's like perfect situation for me to have an online retailer or my local retailer where I can just go get what I want. I'm in their shop. I'm going to end up spending more money than I got for my um, payout anyway, which is good for the store. I kind of feel like everybody wins in that situation. I but think, you're you're really lucky with the DDKC because they have such a selection right. of many manufacturers that aren't just trilogy based. But also, here's the problem: based on what I understand of how tour directors can actually make money right now, mm-hmm. it's through payout with merch because they can keep what they make on top of what they had for the wholesale disc. So right. that's very very dis. It, that's not good right now right. for the current situation we have. So if some of my entry fee is just going straight up to the TD, then that can open up, you know, some of this payout to be something different. I would like it if the the pay for the tournament director was just a line item that you could see as, mm-hmm. a, as opposed sure. to it being buried in the bookkeeping mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. the, you know, the difference between wholesale and retail right. uh, when, it, you know, when people Absolutely. are spending their fun bucks. Absolutely. Would you be okay with AMS being trophy only across the board? Or do you feel that there should be some kind of compensation? So here's my next point. <laughs> okay. As disc golf grows, I've been thinking about that this week because I am so incredibly jealous of y'all that you get to play for cash. And, you know, I'm at a certain age, I have a certain ability ceiling that hopefully maybe someday I could be competitive at our current professional level. However, I think it would be really cool kind of to your earlier point about, you know, playing tournaments and things like that to have some kind of sanctioned lower level feeder professional system of some kind where I can still play like at a very, very minimal professional level where I am just playing for cash. And I'm okay with like that some of my money maybe goes to the quote unquote real pro purse or something like that um, to still make it incentive for people to try to go professional and get out of that, you know, maybe system for the people who really want to. But I would just absolutely, I I still would like to be playing for maybe a little extra something other than just a trophy, like for sure, because it, it just helps. I don't know. I I do like that idea of getting some kind of something. It doesn't need to be a lot. But again, I would much rather it be a flexible voucher or straight up cash is fantastic, which I can do at unsanctioned tournaments. I can do that right now. Um, but I also love getting my PDGA rating and uh, things like that. So, well, if the PDGA just uh, put an annual or perhaps a lifetime cap on the amount of cash a player could accept, sure, before turning there pro, you yeah, um, you could you could have uh, you could have more guests uh, visiting uh, the open divisions, right? I have not thought through the consequences of this idea Mm -hmm. because it only came to me a moment ago. (laughs) So uh, tell me why I'm wrong in the comments. (laughs) Well, I think, again, the fear is that we don't want to take money away from our pros right now, right? Because like there's only so much for them to be able to get and and all of that. And we want to continue to give our top level pros a better living. At least I want to for sure. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of the the weight on that maybe. I was listening to an interview Dave Feldberg gave once and the point he was making is are the local players who show up to play open at a C tier mm-hmm. 
and don't really venture beyond their local C tiers or B tier or something to that effect. Are they professional in the same degree that someone like he is, that Ricky is, that Paul is, that Paige is, that Sarah is? Is there a difference in terms of what we are calling professional? Mm -hmm. And one of the points he was making was, if he were to come to that C tier, win first, is he taking money away from local pros who had put in the money to play their local tournament as opposed to one of the premier events where you would expect to see someone of his caliber playing? And a lot of the local players, if they show up, are going there for the experience of it, but Mm -hmm. they didn't really have the expectation that they were going to walk away with like a top three finish or, Mm -hmm. or something to that effect. So when you're talking about tiers of professional, when you are maybe like a a minor league to Mm -hmm. to a certain extent where you are pro, but you're not a touring pro, do we need to have those divisions? It's a conversation worth having. So you just mentioned Dave Feldberg and... We had a listener over the off-season, shout out to Charlotte. Charlotte's awesome and sends us lots of good questions. And she wanted to know more about the Next Generation Tour and DD Match Play. So let's talk about the Next Gen Tournament, because Dave Feldberg's been hitting the podcasts promoting this season quite a bit. Um, So I've had a chance to kind of get to know more about uh, this particular tour. Um, through that and then I also reached out to the next gen tour to get more information because this year it's going to be pretty sweet they're offering all amateur divisions pretty much and that means that there are women's divisions and there haven't been in the past and it's going to be pretty cool Um, there's just a ton of tournaments happening all over and there's different levels of tournaments and different uh, amounts of points that you can get And for each division, there's going to be payouts based on region and then nationally, and they're paid at the end of the year. And uh, for nationals, so they they will still have this one big event, just like they've had the prior years. Um, But instead of just having like one division at nationals, there's going to be advanced women, advanced men, and advanced men's masters. So there's a lot of different opportunities with it. And it actually sounds pretty sweet. I would definitely encourage all women to check it out. Um, it's It's a bit of a unique opportunity and based on what uh, Dave Feldberg kind of hinted at on the Upshot podcast interview he did I think they're planning some pretty deep payouts and something unique that hasn't been done before so no cars this time he said but um, I think they're gonna kind of do some of these things maybe that we've been talking about in still in PDGA sanctioned ways. Um, And he was really passionate about getting as many manufacturers on board as he could. He left Latitude partly because of that. So uh, players could have more payout opportunity to get things they actually want without, you know, necessarily feeling like, well, it has to be this one manufacturer. So it's kind of interesting. They have a whole team this year. Sarah Hokum and Lisa Fakus are both on the next gen team. So really Curious to see how that all shakes out. Um, It's kind of cool because there's going to be like some C tiers even that are also next gen events. So you can kind of get like a both and situation going on. So a unique chance for amateurs to compete maybe in a, a new way, which I'm excited about. As far as the DD match play goes, 
I think that's still something in its infancy. It's a fun idea. It's a definitely a unique idea for competition. That it is definitely just like a one division type thing. You can totally sign up for it as a woman. Um, and the more women in your bracket that sign up, then you'd be competing against other women and things like that. But that is much looser in terms of, of what it is. So there's not like a woman's division right now or anything like that. I think that's going to be based on the popularity of it and how well it shakes out. Um, so that's kind of the, the skinny on that. But these are, you know, creative ways of helping people compete, right? Kind of some of the what is next maybe for the sport in terms of, of competition. So let's talk about that kind of tour idea. Do you all have any ideas about new tours? Do you think we have room for new tours? Do you think those are a good kind of idea where you can accumulate points and then can get maybe bigger payouts? What do you think? Well, this gets back to what we were discussing earlier. Um, I think increasing the supply mm -hmm. of available tournaments for players to play in is beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm not super keen on one division tournaments yeah. uh, because uh, getting back to the match play, not pointing fingers. <laughs> Um, match play, but I'm looking at you, match play. When you have, um, say, a single or double el elimination bracket of 64, 128, 256, uh, the women are going to get weeded out really fast. Yeah, you, have a ch you have a chance to right. play against your local women in round one. Right. And if you win, you probably don't have a chance to play against any women in round two. And you know, by the time you get to round three or four, it's it's over. It's done. Uh, it's back to being a bro fest. Right. I mean, this is we've got as long as women have been allowed to play sports because that was a thing. <laughs> we've seen that single divisions simply don't work. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go on record and say I like match play. Um, I have don't have any experience with dynamics events, yeah. so I, I can't comment on how successful they are or anything like that. I do believe that there should be a separate women's bracket instead of having it be mixed. But saying that, matched play is fun. Mm -hmm. um, Darn right it is. If you, <laughs> for those of you who are maybe unfamiliar with match play as compared to regular golf. Stroke play. Stroke play, mm -hmm. exactly. Um Match play is only concerned with whether or not you won the hole. That's kind of like if you watch a skins match. It's, did you right. manage to win the hole in fewer strokes than your opponent did? And if you did not, it's a push and no one got a point for it. It alleviates the fear of having a bad hole. Because in stroke golf, if my opponent gets a four and I take a six, I have effectively lost two strokes on the next hole. If my opponent takes a three and I take a five, I've lost two more strokes in the span of two holes. I'm now down four in match play. I would only be down two because I've lost two holes right. total. It's easier to recover from mm -hmm. a bad hole. It takes all of the burden off of playing perfection every single time because the ability to come back or, um, or at least mitigate the damage is so much mm -hmm. easier there. 
Now, obviously, you need to have a course where scoring separation is possible. If everyone is expected mm-hmm. to get the exact same right. score on every single time, it it doesn't quite work as well. But it's a fun format. Yeah. Um, I would love to see women's events that use match play on courses and layouts that are friendly to our ability. It, it's it's a fun way to play the game. It's really good for pace of play too, especially uh, head-to-head. Uh, Kim and I play uh, head-to-head match play all the time um, just when we're practicing because uh, we'll just go out and practice a whole round at match play. And if somebody has a catastrophe off the tee box or if uh, somebody parks it off the tee box, that hole's going to go really quick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because the player who, you know, threw it into the trees five feet off the right. tee box when the other player is parked and ready to drop in their putt, they're not going to spend 60 seconds agonizing right. in, the, in the forest looking for that 12 inch by 12 inch window to pitch out and make a hero shot all, all the way down the fairway and maybe save par because par's a loser. Right. You know, your opponent has a guaranteed bird. Just quit, move on to the next <laughs> hole. Yeah. So I do think having other opportunities out there are, are good for the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to just go back to one of the things I said in one of the first podcasts. We talk about growing the sport, but do we mean specifically growing participation in PDGA-sanctioned events, or do we mean more women throwing discs? And if we get more women throwing discs, that's a win. Mm -hmm. They may one day play sanctioned PDGA events, but if all they're doing is playing unsanctioned match play, they're still throwing discs. They're showing an interest in the sport. And one day that may be a tournament player, even though she isn't at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of forcing uh, potential players into the predefined categories of play, which already exist, adding a diversity of options for how the sport of disc golf can be played Mm -hmm. allows for a greater variety of players and perhaps players who were missing now to come into the Mm -hmm. sport. Um, So in addition to vertical uh, growth by making the existing categories larger, uh, horizontal growth by simply adding more categories mm-hmm. is, I think, equally important. Yeah. And we've got a lot of smaller tours all over the place, right? Lots and lots of local stuff in terms of where you can get points and just smaller versions of, of the NT and DGPT. And I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before and I'm going to keep banging this drum because it's it's my dream and it's certainly not just my dream lots and lots and lots of people feel this way and I can't wait till um we make it happen because it's going to be here at some point where we have kind of a disc golf pro tour level smaller tour for women we've got a pro side am side the pro women play the opposite of the amateur women play in the afternoons they're the the featured um thing where you know all the amateur women can go follow i think that is going to be so cool for the sport when that women's tour happens i think it needs to be small like three or four events um because we're certainly not at the point it would be very bad if we just split men and women right now um that we're definitely not at that point i don't know that we will be or we necessarily even need to be i just think that women getting a chance to see not only an all-women's tournament, but premier all-women's tournament events could be great for the sport and just selfishly something I desperately want to see. So, I'm going to make some enemies here maybe by saying this. Go for it. <laughs> obviously, as we have more women play, we would need to adjust the ratios of divisions mm-hmm. and, and how many people are in, in each. But 
just like the U.S. Open, just like Wimbledon, I like watching the premier men and the premier women mm-hmm. play at the same time. Absolutely. Um, I don't want to split the women's tour entirely from the men's tour or anything like that because when the glass blowing open comes around, mm-hmm. I want to see the FPO play as much as I want to see the MPO play. I want to see both divisions play MVP open. I want to see both divisions play Beaver State Fling. There are plenty of you know beautiful courses and very challenging events where I want to see both how the men and women do at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think our sport is better for having both divisions play these events mm-hmm. instead of having them be separate. Um, do I want U.S. Women's DGC to be as big as... Uh, the men's DGC? Absolutely, I do. I would love to see that tournament become as big an event, as a big of a premier event, at least in terms of audience, as it can be. Um, so yes, there's definitely a place for premier women's events, but I I want to make certain the premier events have both because I'm selfish that way and want to see both at the same time. And I, I agree. And, you know, we're seeing, obviously, I agree to a point. <laughs> because we're seeing a big thing here right where we have live fpo coverage just like we have live mpo coverage on the disc golf pro tour um and i that's awesome because that means that more people are are seeing and more women are seeing oh hey women play like i do and that's really really important but there is a reality and i i don't think it's wrong that it works this way but we are sending them a certain message when women play in the morning and men play in the evening and i I know that um, from things I've heard that the women actually, you know, prefer that consistent tea time in the morning. And I don't want to like take that away from them. And at these events where they both are, that's fine. I just would like to see more high quality women events where we can kind of celebrate FPO a little bit more and put them on a little bit more of a pedestal and a little bit more display. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm, I'm in. Where do I, where do I send the check? Who's running it? <laughs> All right. Good talk, y'all. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Coach Nova's Red Hot Tip Top Tips. My favorite segment. (laughs) The Kansas City Disc Golf Divas are passionate about creating unforgettable disc golf experiences for women and girls of all ages. Join the Divas on May 11th for the fifth annual Diva Spring Fever held at Rosedale Park in Kansas City. This women's two-round event is part of the Heartland Women's Series and sure to be one of the highlights of your disc golf season. To register or to sponsor the event, visit igotthefeva.com. That's igotthefeva.com, where you can also keep updated on women's league nights, upcoming diva events, and volunteer opportunities. It's time for Coach Nova's Red Hot Tip Top Tips. Quick clips of gripping tips and surprising advice with no compromising. Coming to you bi-weekly on the Ladies of the Chain. Hey everybody, Coach Nova here. Today I'm here to tell you that the putt you don't take seriously is the one that is going to bite you in the keister. There is no such thing as a gimme. I have personally missed a drop-in from a distance of one foot. How did I do it? 
I had two discs in one hand, my phone for keeping live scoring in the other hand, and my bag slung over my shoulder, and I was in a big hurry to catch up with the group as they walked away to the next tee. I tried to drop one of the two discs in my hand into the basket, and because I was not paying close attention to what I was doing, it fell on the ground instead. Now you're thinking, Coach Nova, that is some Bush League stuff that cannot happen to me. It's a total edge case. Well, you're wrong. I'm not going to name names, but right about this time last year, a tip-top red-hot touring pro at a tip-top tournament five-putted on the first hole of the day. If it can happen to her, it can happen to you. So here's what you do. Leave your bag or backpack on the ground. Step up to your disc or your mini. Stop for a second and look at the basket. And only then do you putt. There are no gimmies. If a throw is going to go on your scorecard, it is worth taking your time and doing it just once. There are no gimmies. Never ever. The putt you don't take seriously is the putt you will have to do twice. Or worse. Back to you, Becca. And we're back with our Ladies League Spotlight. I'm really excited to share with you about three different women's leagues around the country. The first is run by our MVP friend, Jennifer Sawyer, captain of the MVP women's team and really, really rad lady and player. And she runs the Climax Club Ladies Disc Golf in Climax, Michigan, and they tee off on at noon on Sundays, April through October. And their league ends with their Halloween dress up round and party, which sounds fantastic. And they play best shot, random, pro, and AM doubles with prizes for beginners and advanced players every week. And the league's free to play with an optional ace pool and 50 50. And this year will be the league's 10th anniversary, which is awesome. And they typically have about 10 regulars show up with over 30 women and girls at one time or another throughout the years. And they've welcomed over 132 women to the league over the last 10 years, which is fantastic. Next league I want to tell you about is run by Courtney Fassold and largest of all the shout outs to Courtney, man. Courtney has gotten super passionate about golf in about the last year. And uh, she decided to start a women's league in her area because there wasn't one. And that is so cool and so fantastic. So they are the women of the fort and they're located in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And right now they meet on Saturday afternoons, uh, but starting in April, they'll be meeting on Monday evenings at 5.30 and they rotate and play all five courses in that local Fort Wayne area. And their league started as an idea between two spouses of disc golf guys, and they met at an ace race in September of 2018, and they very first met in October. And again, that's just so exciting. They've got about four ladies out right now, but they've had as many as eight. And you can find them on Facebook. They have a Facebook group under Women of the Fort, which is fantastic. And next, we move to a very, very legendary Uh, women's league and that's the disc golf or die ladies up in portland oregon i know they've been running for a while i believe uh tina oakley came out of that group and lots of other players which is awesome and samantha mclean reached out to me about it um they average anywhere between 25 to 35 ladies a week and they've run two pdga sanctioned tournaments countless fundraisers and even a pro clinic the week of beaver state fling where they had valerie ragna page sarah zoe tina kona lisa and more all those awesome players that's cool 
And they start the week after Memorial Day and end the week before Labor Day. And it's 12 weeks and handicapped with the juniors division. They take a few weeks off for the Beaver State Fling and the week before the Chick Flick. Uh, one of the absolute largest women's only tournaments and they play at a course called lunchtime in portland oregon signups start about 5 15 to 5 45 and they like to start around six and you can find them on facebook as well all right so now we come to our fpo recap and waco was this weekend and the second stop of the disc golf pro tour and Another largest of all largest shout outs to UDisc, man. <laughs> For nerds like me, UDisc is amazing. Uh, I like being able to come up with stats and figures and, and things like that. So it was a very exciting event with some very, very good play. Um, I ran this stat today for fun. In 2018, the top three combined score uh, for FPO at Waco was negative uh, nine with seven under being the winning score. And this year, the top three combined for 20 under with 12 under being the winner winning score. Now, before you get too excited, <laughs> last year at Memorial, uh, that was the year that Paige just slayed it out there. And the combined top three was 35 under. And this year it was only 18 under. However, last year at the Las Vegas Challenge, the total of the three top scores was 12 over, and this year it was four under. So some fun random stats, but I think uh, looking at the ratings and, and just overall trends, it is getting harder to win an FPO. There's more people playing, and generally the level of play is higher, so pretty exciting to see. Um, anyway, so back to Waco. Uh, Man Cat just kind of reached out and took it in the third round. Yes, she did. It was impressive. Um Paige Birkis had another great weekend, uh, but yeah, in that last round, they so Paige and Kat were tied through the first two rounds. They shot the exact same score <laughs> the first two rounds, which was kind of crazy. Uh, so another battle um, between the two of them, kind of like the Las Vegas Challenge, uh, but this time Kat came out on top. Um, and you know, Paige Pierce, boy, I was I was peeking in on that last round, especially. And she had five two putts in the last round, and they were like all for birdies. So uh, she had one of the most insane eagles I've ever seen in my life. Um, so definitely go check out that coverage, especially when the post produced came out because it's it's fantastic. But if she gets her putting dialed in, she's going to be just completely shredding. Um, it's kind of one of the things I saw. I don't know if y'all got to watch any of the coverage or had any thoughts. I am a really big fan of post-produced content. <laughs> yeah. um, it is easy on my time. Yes. No, you're not wrong. Like I love, love live sports. Live sports are my jam. I've decided that but... anytime I need to get a hold of you, I'm just going to go into UDIS chat. <laughs> Yes, um, you can find me in UDIS chat pretty much any big tournament. So. Yeah, it's, it, and honestly, it's easier to use than Facebook Messenger. So I am, <laughs> I am there when, when, I need, awesome. when I need to find Ladies of the Chains, Becca. The guys are super cool in there. They can totally chat. just eavesdrop on our conversations. But <laughs> I'm delighted. Um, I know I wasn't here for the last um, episode, yeah. but we've had... Paige Bierkus take down a big one this year. Mm -hmm. We've had Kat take down a big one. We had Evelina yep. Solon and take down a big one. This is a much different 2019, but different start to 2019 than we yep. had to start to 2018. Um, it's exciting to mm -hmm. see so many of the pro women throwing well and different names taking down tournaments. Absolutely. Um, 
Paige Pierce is going to win big tournaments this yes. year. It's going to happen. Absolutely. For everyone who thinks that Paige <laughs> is not going to win one, she's going to win one. Yeah. Well, I mean, last year we were talking, was Paige going to win everything? Same thing. She may not have won a big event yet this year. She's going to. Yep. She's probably going to win several big events yep. this where, year. Where will she strike? We don't know. <laughs> so don't write Paige Pierce off yet. Mm-hmm. But it is, is it is very, very exciting that Paige Bierkus is following up her yep. world championship with very strong performances at premier events. It's good to see that Kat is still fighting for dominance. Mm-hmm. Um, love to see Evelina. Mm-hmm. The fact that we have new blood that's hungry and can put talent behind that hunger. Absolutely. Um, Sarah Hokum still in the yep, mix. Absolutely. Um, she hasn't taken down a big one yet, but she's been in the top five. Yep. She's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Just like Paige Pierce, Sarah Hokum is going to win big events and is probably going to win more than one of them. Yeah. So the FPO tour is going to look very exciting this year and i really hope everyone's watching and we've got more people out which is really cool um vanessa van dyken has been knocking on the door as well um i wouldn't be surprised to see her her take a win and uh speaking of evelina salonen of finland henna bloomrus of finland is going to be at jonesboro and i am very very excited so uh i know kristen tatar i saw is planning on she and silver going to come out later in the year again uh hopefully so that's exciting that we can hopefully see some more international players. Katka, there's a lot of other people that came out last year that hopefully will come out this year too. Okay. It's it's strong. Jessica Weiss. Yep. She's absolutely. going she's going to take down a big <laughs> one. Lisa Fakus, don't write her off. Whatever you do, these are very good women and they are yeah. going to have good results this year. So And we're really good Oh, pro- Rebecca Cox? Oh my she's gosh. gonna have a good result this she year. Had a great last round. And we're very good prognosticators if we just pick everybody. But to your point, I it is a I totally long agree. tour and yeah, these are very absolutely. talented disc golfers. Absolutely. They are going to have good results and it's one of those weird things if you go on to any disc golf forum or or something like that and don't (laughs) fans are very quick to write off some of these very talented players and do so at your own risk i mean go on the forums at your own risk (laughs) (laughs) all right and with that we have come to the end of our show and shout outs kim do you have any shout outs yes um you may not have seen her on any of the um, feature cards or anything like that, but my friend Daniel Weigand was actually yeah. playing Waco. And for someone who's been focusing very much on her education, especially um, as a ceramics instructor and has been working on her own career as an artist, it was really good to yeah. see her name on the UDISC scoreboard that she's playing again and is having fun playing again. So big shout out to you, Danielle. I was, I was watching. <laughs> awesome. I want to give a big shout out to universal basic income. As automation <laughs> increases, we should only be working 20 hours a week. <laughs> if we were to allot $10,000 in cold, hard cash to every American every year, we could multiply the number of touring pros we have by tenfold overnight universal basic income (laughs) it will grow the sport it's not socialism it's growing the sport (laughs) i love universal basic income we could go into a whole thing about that but anyway you're you're a performing artist of course you You know that's right (laughs) no i want to play disc golf for the exposure (laughs) (laughs) nice 
And that brings our circle all the way back. Thank you so much for listening to the Ladies of the Chains podcast. We're going to be doing a monthly Patreon drawing at the end of each month. So Patreon supporters, keep an eye out for that. You could support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. Every little bit helps. And uh, that gets you into that drawing as well as other fun swag and tiers that you can see at the Patreon site. Or you can go to ladiesofthechains.com and click on the support button to take you directly there. Thank you to DZ Discs, where the disc you see is the disc you get. And you can use the code guitar at checkout for a discount. If you like the podcast, if you be so kind to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you are listening. That helps other people find us. We love hearing from listeners, so please reach out to us on social media or ladiesofthechains at gmail.com. Have a great week. We'll be back next week with a featured interview and get out and play some disc golf. See you next time here on Ladies of the Chains Disc Golf Podcast. Bye.